Grace, mercy and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Good morning, welcome to St James Church uh, for our Bible readings and our sermon. Our first reading is from the book of Genesis. It's chapter 17 and verses 1 to 7 and verses 15 and 16. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you'll be called Abraham, for you'll be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you, from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God, and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abram, Regarding Sarai, your wife, from her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our second reading is from the Gospel of Mark. And it's chapter 8, and it's verses 31 to the end. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law, he would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower... You must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we come to uh, seek God from his word, let's pray and invite him to lead us. Thank you, Lord, for your holy word. We invite you now to fill us again with your Holy Spirit, that you would lead us into your truth. Amen. So, Let's talk today about disappointment. 
Um, we've got two stories to work from. We've got the story of Abraham, uh, Abram, as he's at the start of our story, and the story of Peter and the disciples. And I think disappointment is a big part of those stories. Now, uh, before our Bible reading in Genesis, uh, you have Abram has encountered God. He's been told to leave his home and go to a new country. But <clears throat> he is old, his wife is old, he has no children. So in the context of that culture, uh, in the worldview of Abraham, of Abram, sorry, he's going to end. And he will have nothing to pass on because he has no servants. His chief servant will inherit everything. And so there is just this sense of disappointment. Now, God has said to him, I will give you many descendants. And Abram and Sarah have already looked at that and gone, well, how can that happen? And Abram has been encouraged by his wife, uh, Sarai, to have a child through her maidservant, through Hagar. And so Ishmael, a son, is with them. Uh, so Abram has a son now. He has someone to inherit, even though it's kind of, it's by proxy, it's not from Sarai, it's from, from Hagar, but it's his seed, it's his descendant. Uh, and that is what God had promised. And so today you have God reaffirming his covenant with Abram and saying, do you know what? I'm going to do all the things that I promised. But more than that, I am changing your name because you're not just having descendants, you are going to have a multitude. You are going to be a father of nations. I'm doing this thing through you and through Sarah, your wife. And uh, I'm changing both of your names to make them more appropriate to the future I have in place for you. I've heard people say before that this is something about God's Holy Spirit and that their names change to have a sound in them. There is a, a breath, an H. It's Abram to Abraham. It's Sarai to Sarah. And that sense of God breathing his life into them. Now, our passage stops today at the end of uh, God's promise to Abram. But if you read on a short way, you see Abram's response, Abraham now, his response, even renamed by God, is to laugh to himself. Is to say, yeah, how can this happen? And actually he goes back to God and says, look God, can you not just accept Ishmael as being uh, the person that can receive your special blessing and your covenant promises? Because look, he's here, he's ready, it's all good. Uh, and God just stays true to what he has promised and what he has said. And we know that Isaac is born to Sarah. Uh, and through Isaac, we have Jacob and the 12 tribes, Joseph, and everything that follows from that. So at this freeze frame, you have Abram being renamed, having the promise reaffirmed to him but still not quite able to believe it. So holding that for a moment, let's look at Peter. And Peter in Mark 8 has already recognised 
that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the one sent to save Israel. And so our passage picks up from there and says, from this point, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected by the Pharisees, by the teachers of the law. At which point Peter takes him to one side and says, boss, you're doing it wrong. This isn't what you should be saying. This isn't helping people. This is not moving us forward. You should net this will not happen to you. you you're panicking. We, we can do this. And of course, you see Jesus' response, which is, get behind me, Satan. You're seeing things as, as humans see it, not as how God sees it. But from Peter's point of view, there have been a number of uh, false messiahs at this point. There have been a number of people who have uh, stood up in rebellion against Rome uh, and they have been defeated. They have been found wanting and they have been crucified as an example to others. So Peter has recognised who Jesus is. And Jesus is not a false messiah. Jesus is the true messiah. And so therefore... The future for him is not crucifixion, it's not failure. The future for him is glory and God's kingdom coming and Israel being restored to its place amongst the nations where nations come and bow before Israel as they did in David's day. And yet Jesus speaks like this. And Jesus says, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to die. And Peter is disappointed. And Peter tries to tell Jesus, no, no, don't do it like that. Do it like this. And I think there's an echo of Abram hearing God and saying, yeah, that's great, God. Can we just stick with what's doable? Just, just, just bless Ishmael who is here, and, and then we don't need miracles, we don't need anything, we've got all that we need, and we can all get on, and things will be fine. I will be honest with you, uh, I find myself empathising with both Abram and with Peter. There are so many times when, uh, in my own prayers, I will say to God, oh, Lord, keep it simple. We have this, this and this, and if you could just do that, everything will move forward and we will be fine. Uh, just, just, we just need you there uh, and then we can carry on, please. And there's that sense of disappointment when God doesn't answer prayers the way we want. He doesn't act the way we think he should. He doesn't, he doesn't fit with our neat patterns and he seems to be working to some completely different plan that we can't see. And we think we understand it. We think we understand the heart of God, the nature of God. God is loving. God is kind. Therefore, God will do this. And he doesn't. And that's disappointing. So I think it's, we are in good company when we find ourselves in that position, in that we are in the same place as Peter, the same place as Abram. Um, but that doesn't mean that's where God wants us to be. Uh, I think it's interesting that our passage in the gospel 
Uh, Mark 8.31 says, From this point on, Jesus began to teach them these things. There's a sense of Peter has realised who Jesus is. He knows Jesus is the Messiah. That's, that's done. That's sorted. And so Jesus then goes, Excellent. Now I can teach you this. And it's a bit like Tom Wright talks about it as being like a teacher uh, who has to help children understand um, that two plus two is four before they can get to the idea of uh, two times two is four uh, and four divided by two is that you need to have one lesson fixed in your mind before you can learn the harder lessons because the hard lessons are based on the earlier lessons. And so I know that for, for all the teachers, there is a curriculum, which means you start with some basic principles and you build it up. You build up the knowledge, you build up the skills. Uh, so you're not starting off in primary school with algebra and calculus. But you've laid a foundation so that when you get to those things, there is a chance of the children understanding it. Not that I have a clue what calculus is, and we'll move on quite quickly from that. Um, I have to say, if my uh, youngest has a problem with her math homework, I call my eldest. Uh, secondary school math is just beyond me now. Anyway, I digress. Uh, the fact is, Jesus feels like he's taught them what he needs to teach them about him being the Messiah. They understand that. And so he teaches them this, that there will be suffering ahead. And Far from that being an unfortunate consequence, it's what he has come for. It is the plan. It is where he is going. And actually for anyone following him, that is the future. The future is suffering. Uh, the future is persecution. The future is death. And if you do that, you will lose your life and you will gain it. Now, I don't blame Peter for not getting this straight away. I am still learning this, even today, that God's ways are not our ways. But ultimately, God is in control. We know that through Jesus' death and resurrection that we will celebrate in just a few weeks' time, we are granted forgiveness. We are granted <coughs> permission to come into God's holy presence, knowing that we are cleansed from sin, knowing that we are free from shame, and we're able to live forever with God. But that doesn't mean we have to like it. That doesn't mean that it still isn't disappointing when we think we know what God should do and he doesn't. When we pray something that feels like a godly prayer and it is not answered. Uh, most specifically over this last year, when we've prayed for healing for those who have been sick uh, in our church family and they have died. And our faith says that uh, they are alive with God, that they are in heaven. But it hurts us. And if God could have spared them for a little longer, we would have been comforted. Ultimately, 
Jesus calls us to follow him. And he says very clearly that that's not an easy journey. It's not going to be light. It's not going to be uh, fun and frolics. It's going to be carrying a cross. Now, I think that if we are finding the Christian life hard, there's a suggestion from this passage that that means that we are maturing. That actually, as we begin our Christian walk, God is trying to teach us that he is God, that he is good, that we are forgiven, we can know peace and joy and love. But once we've grasped those things, actually he needs to show us that his nature is to give, to love in a way that is sacrificial. And actually if we are going to grow into being the people he's called us to be, then we also have to be loving and giving in a way that is sacrificial and that is painful. We have to deal with uh, the objections and the aggression of others who don't want us to, to follow Jesus, who don't want us to speak his words and his life in our communities. So, in conclusion, if you feel like your Christian life has disappointment in it, you are not alone. If you pray and struggle with a lack of answers to those prayers, you are not alone. Ultimately, we are called to trust in Jesus and to follow him. And that means in all things, simply to try to be obedient. And in our prayers to come to God and say, God, here are the needs of myself, my family, my friends, my community, my nation, this world. What are you doing? How do I pray? How do I be part of what you are doing? When we tell God what to do, there is always the risk we will get that wrong. Our prayers should be prayers where we speak out the needs that we see, but that we listen for God's answers. And we listen for God's comfort and for God's encouragement to go and do the things he's calling us to do. We have a roadmap for getting out of lockdown for the ending of this pandemic. I don't think any of us thought that it would take a year that we'd still be in this position as we approach another Easter it is disappointing. How much of that's on God? How much of that is on us as individuals, us as communities, us as a society, on our government? That's for other people to work through. I'm not bright enough. Ultimately, I am called to follow Jesus. And where I'm disappointed, where I am crushed, where I am sad, where I am hurt... 
I still follow Jesus, knowing that he did the same. If you are hurt, you are following Jesus, and he is with you in your hurt. We pray for help, we pray for strength. But we will not be delivered from pain, hurt and disappointment until we are at peace with Jesus in heaven. And so we encourage each other and we say carry on following Jesus, holding your cross, carrying that and doing the best that you can. Know that God loves you, that he is with you, that he has a plan, even if we don't discern it. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask for God to be with all of us, for God to bless us and help us. Uh, and I would just encourage you. He is with you. Keep following him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess to you those times when we are disappointed, when we are hurt by uh, your seeming lack of action a seeming lack of answers to our prayers. And we bring that pain back to you. And we ask for your insight, <clears throat> for your wisdom, for your comfort, that we would know that you are with us, that we would know that you are in this with us, and that we might catch glimpses of your greater plan, of what you are doing in giving yourself for the world. Lord, would you strengthen us to be able to give ourselves for our friends, our family, our communities, to be able to love sacrificially, even when we ourselves are hurting. Lord Jesus, above everything else, would you help us to continue following after you? And would you give us the strength that we need to carry our crosses to follow you whatever happens. We ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Um, what can I say? Go safe. Uh, and God bless you.